Well, this is the last of our Misconceptions, uh, sermons in the Misconceptions series. And, you know, for all of you who are joining us today, what we're doing is just looking at common uh, misunderstandings that Christians have and then really looking at the biblical truth to undo those misunderstandings. And if you've missed the sermons up to this point, just a reminder that we do have uh, podcasts available on our website or videos. You can go back and listen to any of the sermons really from the last uh, couple of years. But when I started thinking about this series, this was back in late May, early June, and thinking about what we wanted to do for eight weeks this summer. Uh, And when I settled on this idea, uh, I really started writing down all of the possibilities. I knew I needed eight uh, I ended up with like 26, and so I've been really selective of what we'd choose, and, and uh, I even took the wide open approach to kind of week by week decide and really pray what we should go over, and this is the one I really felt the Lord saying, you need to go over this, because to believe in the misconception that God could never forgive me for what I've done uh, is a really common misconception, a common feeling for Christians and non-Christians alike. And I believe that living with this lie really cripples you, it kind of breaks your legs from walking in the fullness of the freedom of Christ. It's something that we need to believe and, and know that God has for us. But it's somewhat natural to believe this because I think every Christian, there's, there's the same starting point for every Christian, which is really understanding their own sinfulness knowing that they have a problem, knowing that this problem is bigger than they could solve themselves, and coming to Jesus and saying, I need your help. And so naturally, we're comparing our own sinness, sinfulness and our depravity to, to the holiness and the perfection of God. And so we're going to feel overwhelmed by that. Okay, so, so it's natural to feel somewhat Uh, overwhelmed by our own depravity and think that God could never forgive us. And there's there's ways we come to that point. We think our sin is just too big. Uh, We start to compare sins, and that's a dangerous game. We may be seeing uh, the consequence of our sin, maybe in, in our own life or in other people's lives, and we, so we think that we couldn't be forgiven of that, or we continue to feel tempted by the same sin, or even continue in some ways in that sin. Uh, but we know that we're not a perfect person, we're, we're in progress, of course, but whatever reason it may be, uh, this is one con- misconception that we need to nip in the bud, that as Christians we can't live with this lie. And we need to know that the the Bible, the biblical truth is that there is complete and total forgiveness in the name of Jesus. No matter what it is you've done, you can experience forgiveness with him and reconciliation with the Father. And you can live and walk in that freedom day after day. So the first insight we're gonna look into today in the scriptures is that God is faithful to forgive us of our sins when we confess it to him. God is is faithful, meaning he does not fail. You can trust him in all circumstances to forgive you when you confess your sins to him. And the verse we're going to look at, I encourage you to open up there now because we're going to look at the verses around it as well, is 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, the, the first big observation here is that there is no such thing as a sin that's too big for God to forgive. Because when it speaks about sin here in this verse, this is speaking in a plural sense and a universal sense, meaning it's not just one or a certain amount of sins that God will forgive, but all of your sins. Every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven. And it's also speaking of sin universally, meaning all sins. Okay, there's not a sin that's too great that God's grace can't cover. And the issue here is not the extent of your sin, but really if you understand confession and what it means. That's the one kind of condition in all of this is if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive them. And so what that means here is that this verse is not a magic, uh, a magic verse or an unlimited punch card, get out of jail free kind of thing, whereas if I just say out loud that I've sinned, then it's going to be okay. And, and we're going to talk about the idea of confession and what that means. It's the one contingency here, if you will. But it's not one of those, it's okay, God will forgive me anyway kind of things. But coming to him in confession and repentance he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so to understand that, we need to first understand our, forgive, or understand our sinfulness. To understand forgiveness, you need to have a healthy understanding of what sinfulness is. And there is no, confession, there is no forgiveness rather, without confession. This verse, if you look at it in context, is, is smack dab in the middle of some comparisons. Okay, and, and it's John, the Apostle John, talking about the difference between walking in darkness and walking in light. If you have Jesus, if you're forgiven in him, it means you're walking in light. Okay, and, and you can deceive yourself at times and think you're walking in the light, but when you're walking in the light, some things are apparent. And so verse 8 tells us that if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And this is called self-deception, lying to yourself. That whatever you did was, was not a big deal or sin is sin is sin, whatever, God's going to forgive me anyway. If you look at sin as just a little tiny thing, if, if you think that you're without sin, you're lying to yourself. So the first step really to total and complete forgiveness in Jesus is understanding your sin. You are with sin. All people have sinned, and therefore you have a need for Jesus. Okay, if you haven't come to that point, then you haven't experienced forgiveness. And that's the first kind of caveat I want to cover this morning. But verse 9 tells us very clearly that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now the word confession, we often misunderstand. We think of it as just simply acknowledging, just saying out loud, just telling God that we've done something. And if we just keep telling him that we've done it, but not necessarily repent of it or remorse of it, that he's going to just forgive us every time. 
But the word confession here has a much deeper meaning than that. Confession really means not saying it out loud, but agreeing with God. To confess that Jesus is Lord is to agree with God, to agree that our sin is sin, is confessing our sin, that it's wrong, that it's evil, that it shouldn't have happened and it should not happen again. It's that biblical idea of repentance or remorse of your sin, wanting to turn away from it and walking in the light of Christ. Sin is powerful and destructive. It's acknowledging that, but also knowing that his grace is more powerful and restorative. Agreeing with God, confessing your sin, and that leads to forgiveness, whatever it is you've done. Now it's one thing to lie to yourself, as we read in verse eight, but verse 10 tells us it's even worse to call God a liar, all right? And it's the same idea if, if we claim we have not sinned at all or we don't have a need for Jesus, then we are making God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This is the first step to true and total forgiveness is to understand, to confess your sin. And the only reason you could not be forgiven is if you have not confessed. That's the only reason God could not forgive you is if you have not confessed your sin. But whatever your sin may be, God will forgive you completely and totally when you confess, acknowledge, and repent of the sin. We see this in the book of wisdom uh, spelled out a little more clearly. Uh, Proverbs 28, 13, that whoever conceals their transgressions will not prosper, but those who confess and forsake them will obtain mercy. And we see those two words together, confess and forsake, acknowledge and turn. And I've heard it said that confession is like treating a wound, okay? So if you have uh, a gunshot in your arm and you just pull your sleeve over it and pretend it's not there, you might fool other people. You might temporarily fool yourself by not seeing it, but it's always, always going to be there. Until you open it and you acknowledge it and you dress it, you will never be healed. We understand from the next biblical insight that God does not just cover our sins and forgiveness, but he removes our sins. He not only forgives them, he completely removes them from us. We'll touch on that same verse that Stephanie shared in the children's lesson, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And part of the reason we often misunderstand uh, forgiveness is we look at it too short-sightedly, and we think that God is simply just covering up our sins so he can no longer see them, but he actually removes them. And it brought uh, to mind a a story from my childhood. I'm going to share this, but I want to throw this out there as a disclaimer to all the kids here today. Always, always, always listen to your parents, regardless of the fact that I didn't in this story. All right, the rules they make for you are for your own good because they know way more than you do, and they know you better than you know yourself. All right. But speaking of gunshots, I am a gunshot victim. Uh, happened with my brother 
And so, it was a BB gun, I'll tell you that up front. <laughs> we had a lot of freedom when we were pretty young, and my parents would go out in the summers to work during the day, and we'd be left at home, and I'm, I'm the fourth of five children, so we were all ages, but when I was about 10, I was trusted to be at home with my siblings during the day. And they had one big rule for me and my brother, don't play with the BB guns while we're gone, okay? Well, we knew better than our parents. We knew we could handle it. My dad would hide the BB guns, and it took us like 10 minutes to find them, right? And that's what we did. A lot of the day was play with the BB guns. And it started innocently. We would just shoot paper targets, all right? And then we learned if we stood really far apart from each other and just pumped at one time, we could have BB gun wars, right? It would, it would hit you, it would hurt, but it wouldn't leave a mark or anything like that. But things went way too far, way too fast. And one time while we were out, playing with the BB guns. My brother takes it and pumps it, not just twice like you're supposed to, not like 10 times, like it was 20, 30, maybe 40 times. He lost count, I lost count. And he decided, without me looking, to put it about a, a foot from my behind and pull the trigger. Now this is about 25 years ago, so I don't remember all the details. I don't remember if it left a hole in my uh, pants, but it left it, it definitely broke skin. Okay, I was bleeding. And I had this massive bruise, okay? And I had to hide this from my parents. I never got in trouble for this. They never saw it, all right? So I covered up the proof of my guilt. And the thing is, I couldn't tell on my brother, right? Because I'd be in trouble too, because I was also playing with the BB guns. So I had to hide it. I had to cover it up. But it was definitely still there. I had to sit kind of lopsided at the table for dinner, and I was limping around for about three days, and I hid it enough to not get in trouble. But if that's how we view God's forgiveness, we're, we're, we're really selling ourselves short. He doesn't just cover up our sins. He removes them from us. He transforms us through his forgiveness. And the terrible, awful things we did are no longer a part of who we are in Christ. That's what it means to experience true forgiveness in him that's unlike forgiveness anywhere else in the world, anywhere else in all of history and eternity. Only Jesus can forgive us like that. So we see this verse in Psalm 103 that many of us know. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This is a Psalm of David. All right, David, King David, the, the warrior, the courageous man, the man after God's own heart, the one we think of as, as one who never really made mistakes, except he did. He made some big-time mistakes. And, and maybe one of the biggest, at least as far as earthly consequences go, is that he lusted after the woman Bathsheba. He didn't stop there. He had an adulterous affair with her, and she was married to another man. So in order to save his own hide and to kind of keep this a secret, he had him killed. All right? He's a lustful, adulterous murderer who had lived with this secret for some time, maybe a year or more, until he was approached by the prophet Nathan. And Nathan calls him out for this sin, and God is speaking to this prophet saying, you have done terribly wrong, and there's consequence for this. Now, if someone claims they're without sin, they would just say, God, you don't know what you're talking about. 
That wasn't that big of a deal, or I don't need your forgiveness, I'm fine. But we see this idea of confession and repentance happen in real time in the Psalms. And what's beautiful about the Psalms is, in some ways, it really encaptures the human experience, this emotion that we have through some, some joyous times and some terrible times. And we see this play out in David in, in Psalm 51. All right, this is shortly after he had this moment with Nathan of him getting called out in his sin and being convicted of it. This is his response of confession and repentance. I'm going to read uh, the first 12 verses of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. So cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take me from your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So we see this progress happening in this psalmist who's rejoicing in the forgiveness, the complete and total forgiveness of Jesus. He had that honest moment of confession and repentance to know that he's done wrong, to accept whatever the Lord has and says, in as many different ways, I don't deserve your forgiveness. But now, sometime later, he's rejoicing in this total forgiveness, knowing that God has not only forgiven him, but removed the sins from him. Starting in verse 8 of Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This is a man who's on the other side of forgiveness, who experienced the brokenness of sin, who confessed it to God and asked for his mercy and forgiveness with open and empty hands. And now he's walking in this total freedom of forgiveness. And so for all of us, no matter what we've done, that's the same thing God wants to do in you. To know that your sin is sin. It's okay to feel bad about unforgiven sin. Okay, that's the way it's supposed to work. But when God forgives you, you remove the guilt and the shame from your life because you know you've come to him with a heart of confession and repentance. And now he's transforming you. He's removing the sin from you. He's purifying you from all unrighteousness. 
I think that's what's hard to do sometimes after God forgives you is to also forgive yourself. Okay, and I'm going to talk real briefly about this idea of of the difference of, of conviction of the Holy Spirit and guilt from Satan. As Satan is a, is a crafty person, and he works in a lot of kind of ironic ways at times too, but, but it often works if, if we are listening to his lies. Right? And Satan is the accuser of believers, the, the father of lies. He is deceptive. Okay? And he speaks partial truth, but misapplied to make you believe lies. Now the last thing Satan would want to do is to make a non-Christian feel bad about their sin. He wants them to be proud of it. He wants them to think they haven't sinned at all. But a switch kind of flips here after you've been forgiven. Now he makes you feel bad about your sin. And he wants you to stay in this cycle of guilt and shame that turns your eyes away from the Lord and onto your sin and onto yourself. He wants you to feel guilty to the point that you won't forgive yourself even after the Lord forgave you. See, conviction is good when it comes from the Holy Spirit. And even after you've been forgiven, you may feel badly about the temptation to sin or continuation of a sin. But if it's pointing you toward God and his grace and his forgiveness, it's a good feeling. All right, it can come from our conscience, which you do have to be careful with that. Even in the psalm we read, it talked about that before we're even born, God desires our faithfulness, right? One of the the fingerprints of God in our life is this, this knowledge of what is good and wrong. There's a conscience in us, but it can be seared. It can be compromised. It's fallible and malleable, but there is that good desire in us in some ways. It's also through wise counsel as others are speaking God's wisdom into your life, like the prophet Nathan speaking to David. But there's also God's word that is always, always true, and God's spirit who sometimes prompts us toward repentance. Listen to those things. Those are good. All right? But when you have this voice inside of you saying, could God really forgive you? Did his grace finally run out on you? Is it worth even trying anymore, or should you just give up? That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. Satan wants non-Christians to feel good about unforgiven sin, and he wants Christians to feel bad about forgiven sin. And we're always going to feel guilt at some level while we're in this flesh. But there is a day that will be perfected in him. And we feel guilty no more. We know only his holiness. And we know only his love and goodness and unmatched grace. That's what we have to understand. This is the last thing we'll look at before we go into communion. That the sacrifice of Jesus is completely sufficient for every person who trusts in him. Only the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient. There's nothing else that can remove our sin, that can free us from this guilt and this shame. Only the sacrifice of Jesus can do so. In the book of Hebrews, it's really comparing, again, the sacrifice of Jesus to every other effort. And that Jesus is all-sufficient. In verse 14, it says, 
that by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And this is in a section of, of scripture where he's talking about the old system, all right? These earthly priests who do these sacrifices over and over again, and, and they're valuable in covering your sin, but they could not remove your sin. The sacrifice of Jesus is the only one that could remove our sin and transform us, that we would be made perfect forever when we trust in him and his sacrifice. We get into trouble when we believe God could never forgive me. Because right? one is we, we start to really say in lesser words that his sacrifice wasn't enough for me. I believe he died, but it wasn't enough to forgive my sins. And so if you feel like you have to add to the sacrifice. You have to start making your own payment for the penalty of sin. And it goes into this endless cycle of works that can never match the abundance of God's grace. It's ineffective, just like all of these other sacrifices before Jesus, if you read in the verses prior, that they were doing it over and over, day after day, and it never took away sins. But Jesus did. And when he did, he sat down, because the work was over. By one sacrifice, he's making us perfect. We can trust in the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And the profound effect of that perfect sacrifice is that we're being perfected as well. If you think your sinfulness is just too much for Jesus, we have to remember the truth that his sacrifice was more than enough. It's all sufficient and it will cover and remove any and all sins in your life. There's nothing more for you to do. It's that sacrifice that we remember today when we partake of communion. It's to know that the blood he shed led to the forgiveness of our sins, that his sacrifice was something nobody else could have done, especially ourselves. And he's done that for us as a gift, as grace. We did not deserve it. That's, that's the real meaning of grace, is getting what we cannot deserve. Right. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 tells us this, that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And that's, that's communion. It's to remember that sacrifice, the only way to forgiveness, his one and perfect sacrifice for us, that in that is the full forgiveness of sins. There's nothing lacking. There's nothing left for us to do that he paid the full price of sins for us. And that God shared with us the riches of his grace. And what that means is that we were spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing that we could give, but God is wealthy in his grace. Right? And he could give us far more than we could ever deserve. That that grace, as we read, is lavished upon us. He's not stingy with that grace. But when you come to him in confession and repentance, he is faithful and just to forgive you. This is a time to remember our, remind ourselves of our need for Jesus. 
And songs are such a powerful way to reflect and express the truths of God in our lives. And we're going to take a moment now as we prepare our hearts for communion to, to sing together. And, and I invite you, you can stay seated, you can stand, whatever you would like. You can just listen, you can sing along. But let's remember and express our need for Christ together as we sing. <laughs>